Action Fanatics, welcome to a celebratory edition of the Bulletproof Podcast. I am your host, Chris the Brain, and joining me, it is my colleague, it is my co-host, and it is the co-founder of BulletproofAction.com, Chad Cruz. And Chad, BulletproofAction.com is almost six years old. Almost six years old and fighting all the way through that six years. Um, just like the beginning of this podcast, no one... No one expected it to last long, you know, you know, the two or three listeners that we have. Uh, but here we are still talking. Uh, who's listening? I have no idea. But here we go. Let's see what happens. Yeah, we have hit episode 20. It's been a chore to get here. And joining us for this special edition of the Bulletproof Podcast, back again, it's the real Todd Gaines. RTG, how's it going? Man, it's going great, Chris. Uh, glad to be back. Glad to be talking with you guys. Uh Every single time I come on the Bulletproof Podcast, I think I get cooler and cooler. So let's go, Bo. Wow. Imagine when we get up to like episode 100, you, you'll be frozen to death. Um. <laughs> you know what's good is we, we always bring RTG back when we have like a really epic movie to talk about. So And, and we do. And we do. And and again, I, I, what I, first, before we get into today's topic, I uh, wanted to apologize for missing our we had a show planned for earlier in the month that did not happen uh murphy's law struck and i'm not talking about the fantastic charles bronson movie just anything that could go wrong did go wrong we we missed that episode we're definitely try to make that up for to you guys down the road but we got a big one this this time around but before we get into that let's talk about episode 19 which was our last episode all about arnold schwarzenegger we did the arnold countdown and we actually got some feedback on this one chad um about something that i said and that you blindly agreed to and that's uh from richard hawes of the dtv digest i credited shane black as the writer of predator mm -hmm. that is not exactly the case it's actually jim and john thomas um but there is some truth to what i said yeah i think you know, jim and john thomas does sound like fake names to me but yeah shane black was not the writer of the film but he but he was partially brought in to do some rewrites, I believe, uh, while they were shooting the film. And I, I don't know if he was ever credited with any of those rewrites, but I think that it was kind of an, uh, uh, he was an unsung hero to, to the crew because he brought a different element to the script that the, that the uh, Thomas boys did not. Yeah. And so just, but we do want to thank Richard for his feedback and, you know, keeping us honest here on the Bulletproof podcast, or at least as honest as we can be. Yeah, that's good. Uh, exactly. Uh, but again, if you want to give us some feedback, either on something we've said, a question you may have for us, a suggestion, you can hit us up on social media. We are at Bulletproof Pod on Twitter and at Bulletproof Action on both Instagram and on Facebook. And right now we are about to start our celebration, our six-year celebration August 29th, 2014 is when the site was launched. And Chad, did you want to give a little feedback? Because this was your brainchild. It was, if you can believe that. Um, yeah, you may be Chris the Brain, but I do have a good idea from time to time. And if I remember correctly, I was uh, I had the idea for a long time. You know, I, I grew up watching these films, these action movies my whole life. And I, I, I'm, I enjoy writing. And I always wanted to, to host a site, but I'm terrible at doing things. <laughs> so I needed somebody who could really not only uh, be the brains behind the operation, but could actually, you know, drive everything uh, because I'm not great at that kind of stuff. And 
uh, I I known you through our uh, our connection from rest from the wrestling world, and I knew you were a massive Charles Bronson fan. I I wasn't really sure about your like uh, you know your your action pedigree. I didn't know you know what your thoughts on Lauren Avedon were. I didn't know what you thought about uh, uh, Chuck Norris's filmography, but but I knew that you you were deep into the Charles Bronson. And then the more we talked, the more I knew that you were the yin to my yang. Oh, that's very sweet and a beautiful story. And yeah, so that, that all started in 2014 and you and I were hustling, Ooh. doing, doing posts every single day, sometimes yeah. two a day. Yeah. Ridiculously when for like 12 people to read yeah. two of which were, were you and I and wh- whoever we, whoever we strong armed into a, Hey, read what I just wrote. Um, check it out. And so, but as time went on, we added, we had uh, Matt Spector who I yeah. was working with at the time. Um, and then Ryan Campbell came on board and the, both of those kind of branched off. Cause Matt was originally brought in to do kind of James Bond spy movies, but come to find that Matt likes to just review some of the most oddball movies on our site, which is fine. Uh, Ryan Campbell, Again, the Star Wars guy at first, but now he loves to cover multiple TV series. So that's yeah. kind of become his niche. And then, of course, we also brought on Christy Petrillo, a.k.a. the Toy Man from uh, Figures Toy Company. And he started contributing. And then just last year, the real Todd Gaines joined this crew after kind of being one of our, our fans on Twitter for, for quite some time. Yeah, I, I think we all just found each other by... Uh by the grace of God, man, because I've always wanted to expand, you know, because I was sort of like a letterbox celebrity. And then I, I just gotten fed up with like letterbox and everything. And really, I got fed up with Twitter. But I did like bulletproof action. I liked your, your, your post. Your, so I would just tweet your guys stuff. I was like, I like these. I like these guys. I thought Chad had a cool name, you know, Chad Cruz. And, and then we just like hooked up with uh, with that uh, PM Entertainment post and i think i kind of went a little overboard on it and i think chris was like oh shit this might be some guy that might want to write with us and you know I, I joined it and man this is like a year now for me being a book yeah. action and this is awesome man i mean i love it chris because i love it chris and chad because y'all let me be me um i i just i just appreciate that you always have my back i appreciate that uh i just i, I really like working with you guys i really like hustling you know I mean, sometimes I'm lazy and sometimes I get stuff in in the last minute, but man, I, I'm just so appreciative to be a part of the Bulletproof Action family. And I, I think our site has grown, you know, in this past year. And I think our site's only going to get bigger. And I just want to thank you guys again for giving me a chance. And I hope that I don't let you guys down. Well, we, we appreciate your help and everybody who, who contributes to the site. And of course, those of you who read the site, if, if you weren't there, there'd be no, we'd just be screaming into the void, which is kind of what we were doing in the first year. I think that's what we did the first couple of years. And, you know, really with, with, with RTG, it was kind of a match made in heaven because um, he was saying a lot of the same things in letterbox that we were saying on bulletproof action, you know, and, and not like, not like he was uh, just copying our site or anything, right. but, but oh, we yeah. had the same ideas. We were all watching the same movies and we were thinking the same thing about it. And then at some point we were just like, we need to get this guy's opinion on some more stuff. And then it turned into, well, by God, why not just write for us as well? Right. So that worked out great, I think. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, Bulletproof Action has grown each and every year, 26 or, you know, since 
I think 2016 is really when we started picking up some steam yeah. and then it just kept going up, up, up And 2020 looks like it's going to be our biggest year yet. And I assume 2021 will build upon what we're doing here this year. I think that if Bulletproof Action is in your investment portfolio, you are very happy right now. Oh yeah. With I, that I would agree. Yeah. Yes. But let's go back to the very beginning because we are going to talk about on this edition of the Bulletproof Podcast, the very first movie that was reviewed on the site, again, August 29th, 2014, it was Canon's epic, The Delta Force. And Canon is so into, it's it's, it's in our DNA of this site. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, and uh, I don't remember why or how we came upon the Delta Force as what, like this is going to be our very first post, but it makes total sense looking back. Uh, and it, it, it really, it, you know, I don't want to say it's genius, but it's pretty damn smart because it, it has all the connective tissues that our site stands for. It's got uh, epic action. It's got the Canon kind of bloodline with uh, Menahem Golan and it's got Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin, and Steve James, all these guys in it that, that we've loved for years and that we've followed for years and that we just talk about over and over again. I mean, you find me a week on bullperfection.com where we don't mention Steve James or Chuck Norris and I'll be surprised. So it it really kind of connected everything that we were going to be doing, even though we didn't know at the time, but everything we're going to be doing for the next decade into this one post. And uh, is it a super well-written post? No, but it, 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 uh, groundbreaking if you will. Oh, groundbreaking. They're very, some, and you know, and we've kind of built our own little Delta force as we just discussed our, you know, our staff of yeah. writers, we're, we're kind of a Delta force in and of ourselves. So let's get into it. February 14th, 1986, it hit theaters Valentine's day. And I talked about this uh, at one point, if you were a man who did not have a woman, this was a wonderful thing for you because you were able to do something on Valentine's day. But if you were a man who had a woman and she went to the theater to mm-hmm. see the Delta Force with you, if you weren't married to her at that point, she was the one. I mean, I think you knew right then and there she was the one. If she's going to see the Delta Force with yeah. you on Valentine's, put a ring on it, baby. Exactly. And one of the things you did write about in your your uh, post way back then that I didn't know at the time was the the press for this actually had Chuck Norris and Charles Bronson as kind of what was going to sell this movie, they were supposed to start in this together. And the tagline on there that said, build bigger theaters now is awesome. Uh, I wish it would have actually happened, but what a, I mean, what uh, there'd be no more canon of a movie than, than Delta force with Bronson and Norris. Right. And Lee Marvin plays second fiddle to no man, but in the, in the history of canon films, uh, there's no one bigger than Charles Bronson. And I think that you put Chuck Norris and Charles Bronson next to each other and you set them loose on terrorists and you've, you've made a, a dent in the worldwide terrorism game that it will never come back. Right. I mean, again, I, I, I don't know if there would have been a, some kind of uh, vortex would have opened up if these two were on film mm-hmm. together, something could have happened that would have changed human history for forever. But, uh, Let's get into it. Uh, director Menachem Golan. Uh, we are going to find out as we go through this that he did not follow his usual 95 minute maximum rule as this thing is a two hour plus epic. Yeah. Uh, 
And another thing that makes it really epic is the music of Alan Silvestri. I mean, this is probably the best, uh, highest quality canon score of them all. Oh, definitely. And, and you know, the, the song's been in my head, like, the, the whole day. Like, da-da-ding, da-ding, da-ding, yeah. ding-ding. I mean, it is... Is is awesome. It's 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 ass kicking, you know. It's ass kicking music. It's terrorist kicking music. Uh, you know, let's kick this terrorist ass. Let's drink this Budweiser music. It's 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 the ultimate action score for a uh, for a canon film, and really for any film. I mean, this this score is not just a good score for a canon film. It's a good. It's it's a damn good musical score that you know. If I was giving out Oscars or Academy Awards, I I'd nominate it because it's it's catchy as hell. Yeah, and the, and the score plays almost like uh, like a scene itself because it uh, at different parts throughout the film it comes in at times where uh, the mood changes. I, I know at the end of the film it does it once, but also at the beginning of the film, you know, within the first five seconds of the movie, there's a freaking exploding helicopter. Okay, so uh, it's canon right there, exploding helicopter five seconds in, and then the Silvestri. Um, score comes on and you're like, Oh shit. Like you just know that you're in a film that is going to feature some just awesome action. Yeah. And the movie does, it opens in Iran, 1980. Um, I like the, that they went and gave everybody different haircuts and different facial hair. So we could kind of see that time has elapsed when we get into this, but we, we meet our, some of our main kind of the four main Delta force members. You got Lee Marvin who, presumably took what would have been Charles Bronson's spot. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, Lee Marvin, if you can't have Bronson, Lee Marvin's a pretty badass guy to have on your, on your film. Uh, he's a uh, Nick Alexander. we we meet Chuck Norris who plays Scott McCoy, Steve James, the ultimate Canon sidekick Steve is here. As James. Bobby Chavez. And then Pete Peterson is played by William Wallace, who I believe is an avenging force. Yep. Um, Pete Peterson is, was in that, exploding helicopter uh but scott mccoy was not going to let his boy die no chuck i mean obviously chuck is not going to leave a man behind he's not going to do it not in 1980 not in 1990 and not in 2020 so he runs back into this burning helicopter sees his boy pete laying under uh like a truck like a jeep Mm -hmm. Uh, jeep's laying on his leg and he's shits on fire and he you know pete's a little freaking out a bit and Chuck just says, like, when I lift this Jeep, move. <laughs> and he makes a couple of attempts, and then he finally gets him out and drags him out of there like a boss. And uh, what's funny is Lee Marvin's character, uh, he's a colonel, right? Was that right? Yes. So the colonel, Colonel Alexander, is like, all right, let's just, like, uh, you know, like, McCoy's always late, but let's just kind of wait a few seconds here for him. Like, he, he knows him so well. Like, you're getting character development. You're getting, like, you're learning about these characters just by the way they react. Not even when they're on the screen, but when they're off the screen. Like, he knows McCoy. He knows that he takes, like, risks like this. Like, he's going to run off and save Pete, but he'll make it back. Like, I don't have to worry about him. He'll be back. You know, Canon was always copying, you know, real-life events. And so this is, you know, this is 1980. This is definitely, you know, them trying to save the hostages from the, the Iran hostage uh, crisis. And one thing with the Delta Force is, is this mission is a complete fuck up. I think like eight, eight of their guys get killed or something like that. So right. this, this is really setting up a, hey, you know, the United States is not known for losing shit. We're known for winning wars, not not losing them. And so 
by them losing this battle, I think it sets up the rest of the movie that, hey, something's going to happen and there's going to be some hostages. And this time we're going to come out on top. Yeah. McCoy even says, you know, they screwed up Vietnam. Now they're screwing this up. And he's had enough. He resigns right then and there. And uh, so you kind of get that little swerve like, okay, so is that was that it was Chuck Norris just in that that opening scene. And now he's he's not going to be a part of this or, or what's going on. That would have been wild. If they just uh, had written Chuck off at that point, <laughs> like, oh, crap. So the movie then fast forwards to 1985, and we've got uh, a plane uh, leaving Greece that is hijacked by the uh, New World Revolution. Uh, mm. But we've got a, an all-star lineup of hostages uh, with George Kennedy, a, yum, a young Kim Delaney, or yummy, I guess, uh, if you're... You know? That's 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 my that's yes. my line, man. I know. I was gonna say I, I, I took RTG's <laughs> bit there. Uh, Joey Bishop, a, a member of the Rat Pack in a canon movie. Who would have guessed it? We also get Shelley Winters and Martin Balsam, who I loved in the greatest movie of all time, Death Wish Three, also a canon film. So they're all taken hostage. Uh, the lead hijacker, an interesting casting choice, something that would not absolutely not happen in 2020 (laughs) robert forster of all people played abdul uh so an interesting casting choice there we also uh find out that there's three uh navy divers on board and the whole thing is the the hijackers want to take this plane to beirut and and like and like again this is uh based on the actual wasn't there a TWA hijacking maybe just a year or so before this and this airline's what called like ATW or something like that right with the TWA yeah like uh yeah Forster with uh I guess did they did they spray paint him um to look like a terrorist or that is yeah I think he uh, may have had the original spray tan he could have got the uh the Vasquez treatment because i think james yeah. cameron finally admitted that they uh like kind of painted vasquez to look more like a, a latino and the uh and aliens but it, it's, it's hilarious to, to go back and think that robert forster played a uh i guess a an arabic terrorist in the delta force because he is nowhere near that he's you know he's he's gone now rip but he's a great actor but uh it, it, it was a great it was definitely let's let's put it this way it was definitely a canon casting is canon casting at its best oh yeah and you know you, you missed one name that i i couldn't help i had to look up her name because i recognized the face but i couldn't i didn't know what her name was but it's uh looks like uh laney kazan or kazan who was like the uh the big haired jewish wife with the ring oh she's like in like my big fat greek wedding or oh yeah exactly you've seen her in like a bunch of different commercials and tv shows before and she looks the same she looked the same she uh, in 1980, whatever, as she did, and uh, like, uh, don't mess with the Zohan. Like she just like, <laughs> same hairstyle, same everything. And I was like, as soon as I saw, her, I was like, oh crap, there's that girl. Uh, it's kind of like George Kennedy. Like he always looked the same to me. Yeah, George, uh, George Kennedy. You know, like we could talk about Lee Marvin never, you know, looking the same for about 30 years. George Kennedy looking the same for about 30 years, and also another person, the pilot. I don't know, Chris, if we mentioned on Bo uh, Sevson from Walking Tall. Right. Yeah, yeah. He's in there too. Yeah, yeah. It's again, this is, this plane has a lot of star power on it. It's a good plane. So we also meet another uh, familiar face, uh, general w- Woodbridge, excuse me, easy for me to say, played by Robert Vaughn. Um, he puts the Delta force on alert when this news about this hijacking takes place. Um, and good old Pete 
gives his friend McCoy a call and we we kind of all waiting around the the hangar there wondering is McCoy going to show up and we get our answer Chuck Norris was not just in the movie for a few minutes he's in it for the long haul and uh kind of get more of that uh, Sylvester music playing and the Delta Force is on its way but first we get a, like a whole movie unto itself in the plane mm-hmm. yeah and before we get to that, I just want to say that I'm ever, I'm ever so thankful, uh, you know, Chuck shows back up and I've always been amazed by how his, his hair just flawlessly melts into his beard. I mean, it's like, uh, it's just like this incredible, uh, it's not a fade. It just kind of like, it's a smooth transition right? I was from, gonna say. from the mullet into the beard. My guess is that there's a neared. Yeah, the chest, the chest hair that Bruce Lee didn't rip out, and then it just flows straight down to the toes. Is my guess. Yeah, and I, yeah. I was gonna say, I think the back of the mullet goes right into the shoulder hair. Yeah, there's the back hair, which goes. <laughs> yeah. So you've got the neck beard, the neared. What is the back neck? Do we have a? Is there a name for that? Uh, Were, werewolf. That's that's the werewolf. Talking. Okay, but yeah, man, what a man, what a man. But yeah, continue. Sorry. Oh, no problem. So, yeah, we got a lot lot going on in the plane, RTG. Yeah, um, here's here's the thing about the plane and, and you know, breaking the uh, the runtime because this this these scenes in the plane, like, take up a lot of the movie. So a lot of the movie without Chuck Norris and the Delta Force kicking ass. And uh, what I found hilarious about the plane scenes is, is one of the uh, terrorists, you know, he's uh, he misses the flight and he like and he freaks out in, in the uh, in the airport customs. And uh, so he actually misses, I guess there's three guys that are supposed to get on, but one of them gets delayed. Uh, he gets delayed or they won't let him on because he's late. And the dude looks all just all show. Sh- I, I, what's, what's that word when you Disheveled. have? Yeah, there you go. He you know? shook. But, um, but I mean, they. <laughs> like the kids say, yes. The kids would say he shook. Robert Forster just just comes out like with, with a bang. You know, they come in. I mean, I mean, I mean, as soon as they get on that plane, they 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 hijack it you know there there's no waiting around no waiting to get in the air i mean they uh you know they they're going around and you know putting fear in everybody slapping people um threatening to kill people um definitely we get uh we meet the uh airline stewardess uh, lady and and she's forced to go through the passports and pick out the jewish people and you know it's hard for her because you know she's a she's a german and you have all this uh you know, these, the, this emotional scene. And you also have some cabbage patch doll that plays a big role d- during the, during the hijacking. <laughs> and I'm just like, I mean, that scene is just almost, it's almost cringy, cringe worthy to watch. Like when the daughter's given like the dad, the cabbage patch kid to be brave. And I'm just like, ah, I mean, it's, it's canon. I mean, I mean, we're going to get, we're going to see some ass kicking. We're going to see some people get, ex, you know, ex, explosions. So we're going to have to put up with some of this little um, drama. And I think maybe because, you know, um, Gulan, Gulan, however we say his name, Go, Golan. Golan, you know, he's the director. And, you know, sometimes he gets like these big, like these epic ideas. And like, you know, I'm glad he directed the Delta Force. But at the same time, it's like, what would the movie have been you know, if we just sort of focused on some action and not this, uh, this, this, you know, this Cabbage Patch Kid drama, this, this over drama in the uh, in the airplane with, uh, 
you know, just that, I mean, that scene, that scene's just like, I mean, I mean, I, I love the movie, but I, I could have done without some of the stuff in the airplane. Oh yeah. I think if anybody else directed this other than Menachem Golan, it would have been its usual 90, 95 minutes. And a lot of this plane stuff would not have made the cut. Um, but, yeah. You know, Menachem was making an epic and I mean, they were really, I mean, they treated this, this film huge as a company. I mean, they had a huge like premiere to open up their their new headquarters in in Los Angeles around it. It was like this was their their tentpole event of 1986 for sure. And and I'm sure they they thought that you know everybody was going to love it. You know, even even critics. You know, they they probably even thought they might have could have won a, a best picture or something. I mean, well, yeah, that's been said before too, is every year they would be like, this is the year we're, we're going to win the Academy award. And that never did happen for them, but uh, you know, they, they were trying God bless their hearts. Yeah. But they, they did get runaway train. They do have it a, did get a nomination. Yeah. It did yeah. get some nomination. Yes. That is and you know what, B besides runaway train, I mean, the, the, this act of this film has got to be one of the, the most, one of, acting in a canon yeah one of the best quality of films that they made well yeah and again the, the talent involved i mean they had experienced right. you know actors and actresses right all right so what ends up you know you mentioned it uh todd about the stewardess reading off the 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 jewish name so they round up all the jewish men they round up the three navy guys who are on on board but then they try to land in beirut and at first beirut's not cooperating with them uh, which does not bode well for one of our Navy guys who gets the crap beat out of him. Yeah, that's an awful scene. Awful scene. Um, and so that kind of finally gets the you know old Beirut airport there to, okay, we'll, we'll let you land. We'll let you land. They refuel, but we also, not only do they refuel the plane, they uh, reinforce the ranks. We get a ton more terrorists, and they sneak off the, the Jewish guys and the Navy guys to a Beirut prison and then the plane takes off and goes to Algiers and they're not the only one going to Algiers though uh Chad yeah they at one point the three navy guys that were on the plane were like all right let's let's jump these guys let's stop them and then they they decide against it because you know they're afraid that the other people will get shot right. which I get it but there's a lady who's screaming, there's only two of them there's only two of them and I'm like with her the whole way I'm like yeah do it like get them um, but they choose not to. And then, you know, five minutes later, the one guy's getting the hell beat out of them and then they're refueled. And then all of a sudden like 30 more dudes jump on the plane and you could just feel like the tension that was there. Like, will, will people try to like stop them, uh, or just kind of allow this to happen is gone. Now it's just like, okay, now we're in deep shit. So yeah, that option off, that option is off the table. It's right? gone now. So now they're, they're on their way to Algiers and uh, like you said, it's not just them. It's also some bad dudes wearing all black, flying in a transport plane with a couple with dune buggies, <laughs> uh, freaking dirt bike with rockets on it, and the meanest mulleted guy in, in, in the world. And the bushiest eyebrowed guy as well. The bushiest eyebrowed most drunk man ever. <laughs> Lee Marvin is so pissed off. He hasn't had a drink in like four hours. He left the bar to go kill terrorists, which is the only reason he'll leave a bar other than to get laid. Um, he was pissed. So, and he was close. He was like about to seal the deal on that bartender. Yep. You remember? Yeah. He was, he complimented her on her legs or something, even though he yep. didn't see him from, yeah, he was, he was, 
30 seconds away from being under that bar with her, uh, when he got that phone call. So the Lebanese terrorists really uh, felt the, the brunt of that punishment. Yeah, so Delta Force, they're ready to go. They're ready to take these guys out, uh, but the president puts a, a kibosh on that at first. He's going to try to negotiate. They do uh, manage to get the women and children off the plane, so that that's a small victory there. Um, but uh, after the Delta Force gets the, the green light to go then, once the women and children are off the plane, Nick finds out from the, from the flight attendant that, wait a minute, there's way more guys on that plane than you think. And they kind of, they have, just when we think, okay, we're going to finally get some action here. Nope, they cut it off. They cut it off. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, they were almost a a dead Delta Force because, you know, when they were going in, I think uh, Nick was like, Bobby, don't even, you know, Bobby, you're talking to Steve James, you know, you're kind of like backup here, dude, you know, just uh, don't, don't worry, this is going to be an easy mission. And then once Lee Marvin realizes, you know, this is going to, this is a death trap, you know, he, he does everything he can. He makes that. Uh, what was he do? He hops in a jeep or something, and he makes a loud, loud racket, loud noise. Yeah, he, he like sets off the siren to to kind of then, blow blow everything. And you know, you know, Chuck Norris dressed up in his, I guess, uh, airport worker gear. Him and yep. his boys, and you know, they're like, "What the hell's going on?" And then you know, of course, the the bad guys. Uh, they they realized and so but like Lee Marvin's like don't shoot them don't shoot them don't shoot them because I guess because they realize there's hostages on board and they don't want anything to happen to them but we also get the tragic uh, execution of the uh, Navy diver which is this almost like the exact same thing that happened on the actual um, TWA hijacking they when they killed a, an American so it's once again a cannon barring from real life to add into their movie. But um, that's, that's definitely that's, that's a hard another hard scene for me to watch because I mean they that that poor guy they beat the shit out of him and then you know they just drop him and he drops like a rag doll from that from that airplane and and the the crazy part is is like later on when they like the newspaper article that shows is like someone snapped a picture of him dead on the ground and they put that on the front page I mean yeah just, that one's pretty messed up and then they show it to his buddies to his yeah, they're just, like oh your friend made the news. Oh, hey man, because like when they left, they didn't know that the buddy had you know was going to get killed. And I mean, just think if you're in some prison somewhere, you know, some some terrorist take takes you prisoner, and all of a sudden you look on and see a newspaper of like your your dead, you know, fallen like a fallen comrade, and just it it just you know as you know, I think all of us could say this. It just pisses you off, you know. I mean, because like when you watch a canon film, like a lot of us were like, it's it's so like black and white you know here's the good guys here's the bad guys the good guys are going to be like the the military the americans the israelis and then the bad guys are going to be you know the terrorists the terrorists from the middle east the terrorists that look like a stereotypical you know middle eastern terrorist with uh stereotypical you know names like abdul and abdullah and abdul the butcher or or whatever so there's no like there's no you know like this character that's could be good, could be bad. And it's like, no, these are these asshole bad guys, asshole terrorists that that they just deserve for the Delta Force to just to go Chuck Norris on those motherfuckers, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, there's a couple spots in the in the film where there's almost a hint of so the 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 one terrorist, not Robert Forster, the other sweaty guy. Yeah, he uh, he like uh, gives the pregnant lady a pillow and stuff, and then he. He's like talking to the little girl. 
Yeah, he does. He does give the girl the Cabbage Patch Kid. So I guess you're, you do. I guess they're trying. They do. Let we can give them credit for actually kind of humanizing that that one character, that one terrorist. Because normally they would just be like, all right, let's let's blow this guy up. So, right. But and he's he's also um, if you remember, you know, saying how like the U.S. bombed, like he's pissed because like he believes the Americans bombed his, his, I guess where he lived, his neighborhood and killed his daughter in like a bombing. And then they're like, I think George Kennedy, he's like, no, the United States didn't, you know, bomb you. And they probably did though. Let's be honest. And and here's the thing is like, and just like um, Chris said, you know, this, this movie would never like work today, not only because of Robert Forster, but you know, not, okay. not speaking to people that review action movies, you know, like action Twitter, you know, you know, people, people like us, but like the normal, like some of these movie critics out here, you know, a lot of them, they, they hate, they hate America. They hate Israel. They, they hate the, the military. So they would naturally just look at this movie and just like say, eh, not for me, but you know what? People like us that, you know, Bulletproof Action, other action sites, we love this ass kicking. We love it when we get to, when the, I'm going to say the good guys, when the good guys stick it to them damn tears. So this world's a better place because of Delta Force. Well, even back, even back in 86, there were some critics who, you know, kind of questioned uh, some of the, the themes of this film. Um, oh, yeah. But again, yeah, looking at it from an action movie, it's it's you know it's basically a, a live action cartoon. I mean, yeah. yeah, again, you know, it's everything's just over the top, overblown, and yes, while it you know, and maybe the reason for this one would, that would cause problems is because what you've been mentioning throughout the the show, Todd, is how it did really tie in to true yep. events. Yep. Um, yep. So that could have you know definitely would have rubbed people the wrong way, where maybe it's not so much doesn't feel as much of a, a fantasy as you know, cause there is some uh, root. It is rooted in reality. So, um, but here's the thing. We're now about an hour into this movie with really other than that opening scene, no real action, which is just a shocking development. If you're a Canon fan. Yeah. I don't remember a single roundhouse kick being thrown in the first hour, which is, uh, you know, if it's the first time watching the film, you're, you're caught off guard by it. You know, Chuck Norris is, is there. You're like, Oh, there's Chuck. I can't wait for him to beat the shit out of somebody. And then he displays this amazing, uh, mullet and he's wearing this cool, like all black, uh, get up. And he's carrying around like these weird weapons that American military never used. <laughs> and he's just like, I see a doom buggy. Like what the hell? There's a doom buggy. Uh, okay. Well, I can't wait for that to happen. Um, but you just wait and you wait and you wait. And instead of getting Chuck Norris beating the shit out of people and Lee Marvin, just like berating guys to the point where they commit suicide, you've, you've got like Joey Bishop and George Kennedy on a plane. So it's, it's like almost frustrating at a certain point, but then you look at the runtime, like, Oh shit, there's like an hour and 20 minutes left. So I guarantee these 30 guys that just boarded the plane, there's going to be at least 12 of them that get their faces utterly kicked in and caved in by Chuck Norris's boots. Yeah. And after, you know, the, after we, uh, they kill off the Navy diver um, and just dump him on the runway, 
they double back with the rest of the uh, male hostages back to Beirut. And that's when uh, we hear from the General Woodbridge again, and he redirects the Delta Force to go to Israel, where they will coordinate with the military there and plan the big rescue mission. And we get a little uh, little bit of montage sort of training uh, footage there. Yeah, they they don't they train with the like Israeli special forces like like a one of the Israeli special forces guys shows up, right? Is that is that when that happens? Yeah. Yes. Did did we ever see him again in the film, or or is that his only scene? I feel like he he is in there uh, a few more times, but I mean, yeah, that's you know that's that's the main reason he's there is to kind of be the liaison. Yeah, he kind of pops up and mentions like the priest contact and stuff like that, but I don't think he, you know, he doesn't like break out any Krav Maga or anything. <laughs> it would have been, uh, it would have been kind of cool if, if some of the, uh, like, cause those is the Israeli special forces. I mean, I, I've, I've heard stories just on how just badass they are. And so it'd have been cool if they would have, a couple of them could have helped out a little bit. Oh Yeah. And they do connect. They connect him with the the priest of the guy who's I don't know if he was a real priest or pretending to be a priest or what, but he was in Beirut and he was delivering information via this like uh, weird like prayer message that he was sending out. And he eventually gets caught by the terrorists and you know takes a long walk off a tall balcony. <laughs> yes. uh, but yeah, but he he even gets out like one last like oh he gets out one last like yell as he's coming down. But uh, but he gets out enough information and he gets enough intel and whatnot to kind of prepare Chuck Norris and his crew to go into this. I think it was a school that they were using to house these guys, uh, but to go in there and lay down the American hammer. Yeah, and it was actually McCoy uh, and Pete were over there. They they got in posing as Canadian reporters. They met up with the priest and then, yeah, he gets snagged uh, by Abdul and then finally... An hour and 15 minutes in, we get a big action chase scene because after they kill the priest, they're like, oh, he wasn't working on his own. They spot yeah, uh, they spot the van with McCoy and Pete in it, and we get a great little chase scene. Yeah, it feels like you had to wait for forever to get something going in this film. Um, and I wonder if they chose Canadian reporters because they wear so much denim, but I accepted it. Like, okay, Canadian, I get it. Right, uh, it was formal wear for Canadians. Right, right. But when they get in the vehicle, they don't drive like Canadians. They drive like like angry hillbillies. Uh, and they're just like going nuts. Uh, yeah, and they're being chased by dudes with machine guns. And uh, I mean, it's a pretty damn good chase scene, really. Yeah, I, I really like that chase scene. It, it, that chase scene was almost like remade like in the uh, – do you remember like kind of like the, the last scene in, in Navy SEALs like toward the end when they're like – running like with their they're getting chased and it, that that scene reminded me a lot of um the ending of navy seals mm-hmm. but yeah I, I definitely like you're definitely like come on man where's the action in this movie where's the action and finally i mean I, I mean we're still not to the you know the good parts but that action that chase was was pretty fun right and there's, there's a lot of setup for it yeah 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 if you if you were falling asleep that chase woke you up um, and, and got your attention and good thing too, because that last 40, 45 minutes of this movie, Delta force becomes like a live action GI Joe movie. Um, and we get the dune buggies you've been talking about, which I mean that there was a GI Joe vehicle that was exactly like that. <laughs> yep. Um, 
with the motorcycle. They all have those cool blue lights on them. Um, and then we even get a little scuba diving action, which seems like it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it's funny because uh, there was really, really no need for it. Um, I, I'm sure he could have held his breath for that distance. Uh, but, but you know, just in, in, the op, in, the, in the small chance that we're going to get action figures of these guys, maybe we'll put them in a scuba suit. And who knows, maybe we could sell a McCoy scuba suit guy. Right. Um, but he also gets to cruise down a zip line with his bare hands, which is pretty bad. He had like a glove on, but either way that shit burns. And, and not just the zip line, but he's shooting his, his Uzi the whole time. Oh, it's incredible. It should be on not just this trailer, but every trailer <laughs> forever. And, and that is not the proper way to shoot an Uzi right there, Chad, the, the, the kind of like the one hand, just he, did he ever use two hands to shoot the Uzi? I don't know if he did, but I see Chuck Norris. I'm thinking like, Invasion USA with two of them. Yes. Right. One in each hand. Right. So he probably felt like he wasn't enough. Like he's like, only one? Why can't I have another one? He probably was like on set, like not happy about it. Well, because your other hand has to do the zip line, Chuck. Oh, okay. I understand then. He could have held it with his clenched butt cheeks, I bet. He's not Van Damme. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But, um, you know, with the scuba diving, I think, uh, I believe Steve James was scuba diving. So any chance to have Steve James in a scene, any, any chance to have Steve James dialogue at, you know, just somewhere in, in the movie, I'll, I'll, I'll take. Yeah. And, and Steve James is Bobby. He, he's a big player in getting that first group of hostages out. Yeah. Oh, the way he jumps. He, yeah, the, he, he, he sacrificed. Yeah. Helps everybody else when the, that grenade. Show. Yeah, awesome scene. He jumps like Jimmy Superfly Snooker, man, and he, just, uh, <laughs> he, and he, he like saves everybody because you're like, oh shit, don't die, Bobby. You know, because the because Steve James does not live through every single movie he's been in, and but like when he's you kind of like come up for air, you're like, oh good, 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 because you almost you almost think that he's going to jump on the on the grenade itself, or yeah. and and die because. That's how Steve James would sometimes go out in films, but luckily he made it past that part, and you're like, yes, yes, come on, Steve. Yeah, once Bobby makes it past that grenade, you're pretty sure. It, it, what's funny is Bobby is like, he's like the only guy whose name that Chuck knows. So he's like, Bobby, where are you? And yeah. there's like 12 guys. Like, oh, hey, there he is. Uh, hey, Bobby, can you go do this for me? Bobby, can you do that? And he, he might know Bobby and Pete. That's it. Yeah, Pete. Yeah, he, yeah. He he knows Pete. Pete's almost like a like a son, like son I think, or, or younger brother. Yeah. yeah, I mean, give him that belt buckle for God's sake. Yeah, I mean that that belt buckle is uh, good I buckle. Mean, you know, Chuck Norris probably had to do every ounce of restraint not to rip that belt buckle from from Pete because and, and to wear it himself because that belt buckle screamed Chuck Norris. Yeah. And speaking of Chuck Norris, one of his famous lines we, we we skipped over it's sleep tight sucker. I mean that's that's good stuff. That's one of the best lines of the film. Yeah, I mean Chuck, I mean he doesn't really have a lot of uh lines in this film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's no need. That gaze is enough. There's 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 no need for him to talk. But that that is definitely probably the line of the film, no doubt. And he doesn't he doesn't drop too many one liners as it is, but there, there are definitely times when he could have, but I don't know if it was uh, in an effort to keep this film kind of like in a more serious way, uh, but they, they didn't drop a ton of one-liners because he could have he been firing them off left and right. You know what I mean? 
what he does fire off left and right are missiles from his motorcycle, which is another awesome piece of business. Man, I mean, like every single one of those motorcycles, because, I mean, he, he used more than one. I mean, whoever, like, I guess they went to pimp my pimp my motorcycle because every single one of those things was tricked out. Every single one of those fired missiles from, like, every single compartment on that. I was like, who designs that? And Hasbro. Also, Hasbro. <laughs> and then, like, also, you know, going back just a just quick second, like, those dune buggies. I mean, how cool would it be to, to fly in some big old military transport vehicle and, you know, get to ride inside of a dune buggy, like, that I mean, I mean, yeah, with a big gun on top of it, with a big gun. So, do you think like actual special forces people? Do you think they put their dune buggies in there and like, like kind of like ride them, or do you think that's just fantasy GI Joe stuff? I don't know. I, I could I could see the uses of something uh, a smaller kind of all terrain vehicle. Um, you know, I, I've been in plenty of uh, military vehicles. Uh, most of them weren't kind of fit for desert use. So I, I feel like you, there is an, uh, a strong need, especially if you're out in the desert like that, that you would need a vehicle that could just kind of ride over the dunes and, and be quick and, and light. And, you know, you don't want to just drive around in a Humvee or something like that. And obviously vehicles were different in 86 than they were in the early 2000s when I was in the military. But, um, yeah, I, I bet there was some use of that kind of stuff. I'm hoping there was. But I wish there was a scene where they were like, Parrot, like the doom buggy was parachuting out of the transport and as soon as it hit the ground they just wah, they just took off with it and why would they um you know when they're about to go fight they didn't have the u.s like the flag like their patch and so yeah. they, they would put their patch on i mean is is there some kind of like like symbolism to that or is it, it was it time to kick ass for the usa so let's go ahead and put our our flag on or or were they trying to like blend in driving dude buggies dressed in all black? And, <laughs> I mean, who did they think they were? You know, that might've been an effort to blend in a little bit better, but I, I know like, you know, present day, special forces guys, you're not going to wear unit patches and stuff like that. Cause right. you know, and, and the chance, the off chance that you get, uh, you get taken hostage. Now they know kind of what unit you're with and you're probably going to get the shit tortured out of you. Uh, as opposed to just kind of a regular Joe from the Arkansas National Guard, um, so no offense to them, but you know if you're if you're a Green Beret and you get a you get taken hostage by the Taliban, they're probably not going to treat you as well. Definitely. And uh, at this point, McCoy manages to get the second group of hostages, which was really the you know, our big stars, our Martin Balsams, our George Kennedys, our Joey Bishops, that whole crew. Um, we get a daring, daring rescue there in a, in a moving truck. And actually one of the uh, Navy guys uh, pitches in there and, and takes the wheel because uh, Chuck's a little preoccupied. Yeah, he, he has he, he actually gets to do some kicking, I think, because he's he's fighting the driver and he's he actually gets to use his uh, Chuck Norris uh, powers. And I believe the guy that that jumped was not his son. I think the other guy, the other Delta Force guy, was actually Chuck Norris's son. I mean, not not Delta Force, but the other Navy guy, the third guy. I don't think the guy that I don't think the guy that got killed was his son. I think the guy that had like one word. Okay. I, I believe that was his son. So that's kind of cool. Well, the Navy guy that helped him there, he gets a line. And he's like, "Need a hand?" Like, yeah, yeah. Like Hardy yeah. Har. And, 
And I wish Chuck would have been like, eat shit. And he just like grabbed the guy by the throat and thrown him off. That would have been cool. But he actually goes off of the truck with the dude and then has like a little bit of a fight. So kind of surprising. And and really like only those four main Delta Force guys. I mean, there might have been, yeah, there might have been like one other guy on the Delta Force that even had a, a line in this movie. I mean, all the lines were well, there wasn't a lot of lines anyway, like I said earlier, but but those 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 big four took the majority of almost you know of, of every, every single line. Yeah, and there's like 30 Delta Force guys, which to me sounds ridiculous because I don't think they would roll in groups that big. But they just kind of cruise around wearing their little hats and carrying rope. And then like every once in a while, like Chuck is just like, I need a motorcycle. <laughs> so someone cruises next to him and he's like, oh, okay. He like, gets on a motorcycle. I think they were just there to, to provide transportation for him. Oh, oh, also um, – did you guys see Liam, is Liam Neeson a Delta Force person in this movie? Because he's he's credited like on IMBD, they they credit him as, and I I swear I've seen the scene. I, I and I, but do you, do you guys remember when you you know what I I've seen that credit, but I've never actually seen him. I guess you know, and I think again probably because by the time we see the Delta Force doing anything, I've already sat through an hour of hostage negotiation, so I'm yes. probably a little bit just looking for the action and not paying attention. So yeah, that, that might be a good thing. Maybe next time uh watch, or if somebody could get a screen cap of it and yeah. tweet it to us at Bulletproof yeah. Pod and, and let's, let's prove this theory. Is Liam Neeson really in the Delta force or not? And that would really make it more of a, like an expendables cast almost, you know, like a pre expendables expendables just with Chuck and Lee Marvin and Steve James. And you add Liam Neeson in there, no matter how small the role is, like let's still add him in there. Robert Forster in there as well. Like now you, you got a pretty good crew there for an action yeah. film. Yeah. Oh man. Also some sad, sad news. Uh, you know, the guy who jumps, who, who helps and drives the Jeep, he was played by actor Howard Jackson, but uh, Howard Jackson sadly passed away in 2006. So mm. another, another member of the, the Delta force team, not no longer with us. And, and of course, this is Lee Marvin's last role ever. I mean, he he looks like he's about to die the whole movie, <laughs> but this is his last film. And the film before this was The Dirty Dozen, The Next Mission, and and little piece of RTG uh, reminiscent or trivia. Man, they used to show the hell out of the uh, Delta Force, and they used to show the hell out of The Dirty Dozen, The Next Mission. I've probably seen The Dirty Dozen, The Next Mission, like 10 times more than I've seen The Dirty Dozen because I think it had uh, old, old Ken Wall in it and it had Larry Wilcox from Chips and it also had um, Sonny Latham in it as well. And so I was, mm. I, I used to love to watch it. And I've I, never seen that one. Yeah, yeah it's, me either. It's just, if you, it's just a TV movie. It's like a sequel to Dirty Dozen. It's Lee Marvin and it's got the uh, Rich Richard Jekyll or whatever his name is. I think George right. Kennedy sh- shows up in it as well and uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I mean, okay. It was a lot of fun when I was like seven, eight, nine, when it was played constantly. Cause you know, the Braves would come on TBS. And so I'd, I'd like, used to like to watch baseball. And so they would show, unless it was Saturday when they showed wrestling, you know, but, um, they would show like a movie like this. They would show a movie before baseball, they show a movie after baseball. So I might watch, uh, I might watch the, the Delta force before baseball. And then I might watch dirty dozen after baseball. And I just like grew up idolizing Lee Marvin because I just thought he was cool as hell. 
Well, I think you just set yourself up for a future post so you can uh, revisit this and see if it's as good as you remember it. Uh, I think that would be a great angle for you. Ooh. Not a great angle uh, was when Pete gets shot oh, by man. Abdul. And uh, you know, just when we, we got all the hostages, everything's good, and we have to get that one last jab in. And Abdul shoots Pete, and it's bad. Um, but this is, again, to your point, Chad, suddenly a motorcycle shows up just when McCoy needs it. And he's after Abdul and we get the big Abdul McCoy showdown. Yeah. Pete's got one of those Jeeps and or doom buggies, whatever he's on. He's cruising around. He's just like holding uh, like an M60 <laughs> and firing it recklessly. And, uh, and Abdul somehow is uh, all of a sudden like granted the power of uh, accuracy and, and shoots Pete uh, and McCoy just kind of like gets this feeling that one of the 35 members of Delta Force have been have been wounded uh, amongst all the dead. And it instantly a, uh, a motorcycle spawns next to him and he hops on it like Zorro b- jumping onto a horse. And and he yeah, he just like goes after these guys. And we've already seen missiles flying out of these motorcycles and we've seen rockets going out the back of them, a machine gun shooting guys. But we have yet to see McCoy actually do a drop kick from a motorcycle, which was quite impressive. Uh, so Ab- Abdul essentially stands no chance at this point because he he runs off to this little building and he tries to hide, but it's like literally within a golf ball shot of where this battle happened. So <laughs> I mean, I could hit a, I could probably hit a four iron there. Uh, I mean, I hit the four like John Dilly hits a three, but by God, it's not that far away. So. He like McCoy shows up and he almost toys with Abdul. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, the way they look at each other and the way uh, yeah that uh <laughs> yeah you, you could tell that McCoy was uh was about to have some fun and uh, also he was going in for I guess some revenge for for Pete because he knew that Pete was hurt then and if you remember too like Pete like his 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 attitude his nonchalant way of living because he's just like man I'll see you when I see you. And just he kept he he said that line like a couple or a, a lines very similar to that he kept repeating that toward toward the end before he got shot, and but yeah that fight with old uh, Robert Forster the uh, the menacing looking um, terrorist that that he was 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 pretty damn one sided and pretty damn epic. Yeah, it definitely you know that's the payoff for all the the stuff that was going on all the 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 hijackers got the better of, of the good guys for most of the movie but right there that one moment was was worth all of it because abdul meets a, a great explosive demise and he look kind of like looks he looks backwards right like he chuck looks backwards at him and, and abdul's got his gun like oh, i'm gonna sh-. yeah, boom. yeah he's gonna shoot him in the back but nope yeah, nope because you know his he's got a tricked out motorcycle <laughs> full, full of missiles I was just going to say that McCoy, and this is one of those times where he could have been, he could have been talking like he could have been in other films. He would have been like, I'm going to beat you, you know, Abdul, you, you messed with the wrong guy. You should have never messed with my country, blah, blah. He, he could have been like talking this guy through his ass whooping, but he's like quietly doing it, which is, that's probably worse. You know, it's like, that's like the, uh, I'm not mad at you. I'm just like disappointed. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's like, he's not, I'm not, I'm no longer just angry at Abdul and going to finish this mission. I'm going to beat you relentlessly and give you that one little glint of hope 
So when you walk out of this little shack, you think you've got me, but I'm going to fart this little rocket out of the back of this motorcycle and explode your ass. And that motorcycle then comes into play because once again, as we've established right from the beginning, McCoy is often late. He even told him, you know, before he went after Abdul, don't wait for me. Um, but uh, he makes it barely and we get the most amazing boarding and airplane scene in cinematic history. <laughs> who was that? Who, who do you think did that stunt? Because I, <laughs> I was watching it and that guy's his beard was definitely like lighter than, than Chuck's, but that, that is the best way to board an airplane for sure. Well, I was, I was watching it and I had to actually bring my wife into the room and say, look at this scene and tell me, do you think that this plane and motorcycle are traveling at six miles per hour or seven miles per hour? Cause it is going so slow. Uh, I don't know when I was a kid, if I thought this was like this amazing boarding, but I, I thought it was laughably bad. Well, the way he missed the the way he missed the uh, the rope the first time too, like oh yeah, well that, that that's that you're like oh grab it baby, and then he finally gets it, and the the motorcycle just kind of like ugh, just kind of like falls off to the side, like it's not even it's not even going fast fast enough to kind of like go out of control, uh, like not now I want to I'm challenging you to rewatch it and look at the scenery and the landscape in the background. I'm sorry, but I almost expected their George Kennedy to just be walking in the background eating a popsicle. <laughs> are you are you trying to ruin this movie for everybody, Chad? I'm so sorry to do this, but I just rewatched this scene this morning because I was not sure I saw what I saw, and that son of a bitch is moving so slow that I could almost see the sweat on Chuck's brow or Chuck's stunt double's brow. Well, when when I'm watching it, I'm I'm more like invested emotionally. I mean, I know what's about to happen with Pete, but I'm I'm waiting for Chuck to get on there so he can go check on his fallen comrade. And so I don't I didn't pay attention to the uh to the creeping in, in the background. <laughs> I was I, I'm I'm waiting for this like this ultimate payoff that I'm sure we're about to get to about the fate of um uh, of our of our fallen friend. Well, I apologize for ruining it for everybody. But now go back and watch it again. <laughs> so, yeah, now that you've already ruined our happy ending, there, <laughs> there is somewhat of a happy ending with the exception of Pete. But again, when you think about it, with the number of guys that there were, the fact that they only lost one out of the 35, you know, those are pretty good odds. Uh, but uh, Pete, Pete does meet his demise. Uh, George Kennedy, who is a priest in it, uh, O'Malley, uh, does... Uh, Give him his last rites, and it's a sad moment. And he's he's def, he's he's definitely plugging to like you know about the guy Pete losing his. There's no greater gift than for a man like to lose his life to a, to a right. country. So it's definitely once again that that pro that pro military that pro USA USA all the way USA number one. You know, once again an, another canon film that's that's strongly pushing almost like the I call it like Reagan action Reagan action movies, and so, but definitely they they highlighted the uh, the sacrifice because you know there, there there has to always be sacrifice in in these missions, and when they do arrive in Israel and they're carrying you know their their fallen comrade, it's 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 a little it's a little bittersweet because you would have liked to have seen Pete survive because Pete was very Pete was. 
was likable as hell in this movie. He was, I wish, I wish he would have done a lot more films. I mean, we did get him in Avenging Force, but I wish he would have acted a lot more because he, I I mean, that's what I, when I was a kid, I mean, I I remember Pete's death. I mean, that's the one, that's the thing that that stuck out to me, not the jumping on the damn uh, airplane or, or the shooting of the, of the missiles and everything. It was, it was Pete for some reason. I I just always um, are drawn to just certain characters and films and, and peeps who I was drawn to a lot in this one. And it just saddened me that he died. Yeah. It's definitely a pretty sullen mood, uh, you know, as the Delta guys like come off of the plane. Um, And which is funny because at the same time, these hostages are, are coming and they're joining their families and everyone's excited and happy and there's music playing and yay, yippee. But then you see these Delta guys who just, had this amazing mission where they saved all these people. They had one loss with the Navy guy, which was out of their control. And then they, they lost one of their own guys who they, they almost saved him, but you know, they, they lost one guy, which, I mean, those are scary expectations to have for yourself as, as a team that you lost one guy and it's like this complete failure. And I, and I get the, I get that, uh, you know, one loss is one too many, but, um, Considering what they were what they were going through, and, yeah, and, and the forces they were up against, yeah, that's and, and especially since like twenty six of these Delta Force members did not have a single line of dialogue, so they could have <laughs> easily have been like like black like okay, so there's red shirt jobbers like in uh, Star 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 Trek, Star Trek, Trek. Yeah. so so you could have had like the black shirt jobbers or the yeah and, and delta yeah but but to your point todd i mean you wouldn't it wouldn't have resonated with you right it was yeah, just right. one of those you know nameless speechless characters but pete you remember pete oh yeah and, oh yeah. And- yeah definitely i mean it's it's like you're like when you're like rewatching it you haven't seen it in a while you're like who else dies who else dies it's not, yeah. you're like, oh shit it's it's just pete just pete poor pete my thought was if you're carrying a rope in this movie, you're expendable because Chuck ain't carrying no rope. Lee Marvin damn sure ain't carrying no rope. So everybody else, even Steve James, Steve James had a rope, but I, I think that him living is actually kind of a swerve for me because, uh, you know, Bobby, he, Bob of, of all of the faceless, nameless guys that were in the background wearing black hats and black shirts, Bobby was the one that, you know, like I know this guy, um, right? And he had a name other than Pete. He had a name, and like Chuck knew him, and Chuck was buddies with him. Um, so I kind of expected him to be also, you know, a, a guy to jump on the grenade, mm-hmm. uh, literally and proverbially. Proverbially, fuck it, Prover- <laughs> You know what I mean? But uh, the proverbial grenade. But uh, yeah, I thought he would die. I thought Pete would die, and then so you know they're cracking open Budweisers at the end. So. I mean, in nineteen in nineteen eighty six, there was nothing more patriotic than drinking Budweiser, but Budweiser was the patriotic beer of the United States. They should have had them doing their absentee ballots on the plane as they were coming home. <laughs> that would have been like, uh, you know, like democracy, woo, like Reagan, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I wonder about Steve James because he has been, you know noted that he did not like when his character died in films. I know it happened in Avenging Force. It happened yeah, he, in, yeah, in the Exterminator. But so maybe he spoke up and said, hey, is there any way I can't die? <laughs> so, like, so, so with, you know, Pete, you know, I, uh, even though Pete's death, like still bothers me to this day, the fact that Steve James lives, I, if you said, okay, RTG, 
here's your choice. Which choose one? one. <laughs> choose one. I'm choosing Steve James to live every single time, man. So because yeah, of course, yeah, because he. I mean, I, I mean, going back all the way to the beginning, you know, I was like when I first joined Bulletproof Action, I was like, holy shit, these guys have been talking about Steve James, you know, as, as long as I have or even longer. And so to to meet to meet fellow Steve James fanatics is definitely like that's just like the coolest thing when you guys did your hall of fame and you put the steve james in like y'all's first you know the first people steve james and michael dudikoff i, th- I think right or maybe were, were they in your opening they were, they were in i don't know if they weren't in the first class but they've d- yeah, definitely I think they were in class too as a team yeah and, and i don't know if you guys noticed this uh i went through like a little freeze frame uh a few a few scenes of this film and when they go scuba style into that water uh, when Steve James goes underwater, you may not have noticed this, but the the sea level, the water level, it it, it dropped about a quarter of an inch because that water just got sopped up in his mustache. Hell yeah, <laughs> that's impressive. And, and the only thing that sucked is we did not. I don't. Steve James did not get to show off his muscles in this movie. Yeah, that's another that's another thing he likes to do. So maybe they're like, okay, well you won't die, but you're keeping your shirt on this time, buddy. But you do get, get tragic. Started a high five after you guys shoot like rpgs at terrorists and kill them which was kind of cool so that rocket launcher scene where they're just standing in the middle of the road and these guys are like and they're like they cruise up and they're like oh shit Uh, what are we doing now die 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 you terrorist scum it's good stuff I always thought it was a a missed opportunity that Steve uh, James did not return for Delta Force 2. You know, obviously Lee Marvin wasn't going to return, but Mm -hmm. I I never understood why they couldn't get Steve James. He was, you know, part of the Canon family and they used him many, many times. So that was was kind of a disappointing thing about uh, Delta Force 2. Yeah. uh, You know, in that last scene, they're, they're, you know, they're on the plane, the thrill of victories in the air. The sacrifice of the brave in America, the beautiful. You know, these guys are like singing. Even like all these, the, uh, what's the the Russian dude is like singing America, the beautiful. It's pretty cool. It's a cool scene. It really is. It, you know, yeah, it gives a happy ending to these people who were obviously put through hell um, thanks to Abdul and his compatriots. Bastard. Uh, that Abdul's just sickening. He sickens me. Well, he's dead. So, in in, in every aspect. Um. So, guys, uh, any final thoughts, uh, RTG on the Delta Force? I, I guess it's. I guess it's almost its, it's flaws make it as a, a beautiful film, just because, just you know, with it being so long, and and you and you sit and you watch this hostage, uh, you watch this uh, hostage uh, playing get take hostage, and you see all this dialogue. And and then the the big payout the last forty five minutes, but also after that, just all the films and just the Delta Force eighty six, you know, Black Ops Delta, you know, just how many films this movie has, you know, people have tried to copy over the years, just just the formula, and and definitely a uh, Chuck Norris and 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 Lee Marvin too, uh, they were the right, even though we wanted Bronson, I, I think they were the right people for this this movie and. We are definitely, like I said earlier, a better off having this movie in our life, and it was it was great to revisit. It was great to talk to you about it, and I, I really hope that if you've never seen Delta Force, that you go and see it as soon as you can. 
Yeah, it's funny. Lee Marvin has a line where he says, uh, they're like, you know, we, we took the spot, but there's no hostages here. You know what to do. Find one who speaks English and work on them. Uh, and, and that was like the uh, kind of the, the, the history. The Lee Marvin has got like this demography that, that kind of lends himself to being the leader of these groups. And in this film, it's his last film, and he leads this group of badasses. Uh, and they accomplished a mission. Not only is the, the, he the leader of the Delta Force, but he's leading Steve James and Chuck Norris. So, and he never misses a shot. Yeah, two two of the baddest people ever in film. And yeah, and, and like Lee Lee Marvin is like, do you think like in real life, like do you think people were like scared of like like do you think people were scared of Lee Marvin just because I mean he always looked like he wanted to like fight you? Yeah, he was probably always half in the bag and close enough to like angry drunk that he would probably throw down with about anybody. I wonder if he would even throw down with Chuck. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Uh, well, you know, you know, here's the thing. Lee Marvin makes Delta Delta forces released in eight eighty six. Uh, Lee Marvin dies in 87. Maybe he did mess with Chuck. Who knows? <laughs> I, I think that especially, you know, having rewatched this recently and, uh, it, it, it felt more bittersweet now having rewatched it because I, I don't think I'd watched it since I reviewed it, you know, six years ago. So, so I, it felt good knowing that this, not only was this, uh, it's a classic action film, uh, but it, it was, you know, the first film that we, we reviewed on the, on the site, which made it feel even better because, because it really is just like, uh, a snapshot into what our we wanted our site to be. Mm-hmm. It's a canon film. It's got great action. It's got great action stars, and it's got heart. Especially, I think that uh, I think that the canon boys, Golan. Uh, what's his, how do you pronounce the first name? Menachem yeah. Golan. Menachem Golan. Like, I think that being Jewish, being Israeli, I think you'll find even deeper connection to in the hostage situation. Um, and I think that the film, like it makes you care about the hostages before they're rescued It makes you want them to be rescued. And then it gives you the rescue in an epic fashion. So I I think it knocks it out of the park. Yeah. It was Menachem's like, this is how that the real life hostage situation should have ended. This is how it should have been done. And, uh, you know, a bit of fantasy there and yet yeah, for me this movie is just as pure canon as you could be the only thing that would have made it more canon is if bronson was in there but when you have galan ninjas and ninjas would have helped too true but <laughs> you've got Menachem golan um the director you've got steve james who is kind of a ninja um and chuck norris i mean this thing is is canon through and through and like you said it was the perfect start for bulletproof action and i'm glad we uh revisited here as we are approaching our six year anniversary. So thank you gentlemen for, for joining me with this. And speaking of our anniversary, we've got some uh, big things planned, including the big one, our ultimate Albert Pune countdown. We are going to give the top 10 Albert Pune movies of all time. And this man is obviously a somewhat controversial figure in the movie world, but uh, no denying that uh, in the world of genre film, he was a powerhouse. I'm looking forward to talking about Captain America. We also have some new movies uh, 
we're going to be reviewing one night in Bangkok. And I believe, uh, RTG, you, you got your eye on rogue. Is that, is that oh, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, with, uh, Me- Megan Fox, uh, I'm excited. Oh. I know it's like, yeah. Oh, Megan Fox. Uh, yeah, of course, you know, R- RTG goes for the Megan Fox action movie, but yeah, I'm definitely excited to bring that. And I believe another writer's bringing a uh, one night in Bangkok to us. And even though I, I'll actually be watching that too, I'll probably be doing a letterbox review of that because I'm getting a DVD for free. So yeah. Oh yeah. It's never a bad thing. I, I definitely want to check that one out too. That one's got Mark Dacascos in it and a huge Mark Dacascos fan. Yeah. We, we, we love Mark on at the bulletproof action um and just before we go some upcoming podcasts uh the month of september chad cruz are you excited as i am because we are going to be covering the baxley three all september long that means action jackson i come in peace and stone cold yeah i mean we've talked about the baxley three multiple times on the site whether in written form or in podcast form and I think it's finally time to kind of do more of a deep dive into the Baxley three, just to show the proper appreciation for them, because there are three films that uh, uh, separately may get talked about a bit, but when you put them all together, I mean, it's like an epic triumvirate of awesomeness. Stuff to look forward to here on the Bulletproof podcast. We want to thank you for listening. We want to thank you for being a part of bulletproofaction.com. Whether you've just found us out, if you've been with us for years, we cannot do it without you. Six-year anniversary coming up. Be sure to visit BulletproofAction.com. We've got some big things planned, as we said. And I think that's all all we got here. So for RTG and Chad Cruz, I am Chris the Brain. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast. listening to the Geekscape Network.